Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa Aparuta de sangamatasa taura ye suravantabamunjantu satang. So, Esurvantabamunjandusatang means those who listen have confidence that the gates of the deathless are open. So, what, and then the, what do we mean by that as a metaphor? And so, the, the deathless the gates to the deathless. So that's the Eightfold Path based on enlightened understanding of the Four Noble Truths. So this is a, a succinct explanation of the, the original teaching of the Buddha, which in verbal expressions we can understand the words. Because that's how we're conditioned to live in a, our realities are have to be named, have to be given names, be described and analyzed, criticized, loved or hated, liked or disliked. So this this divisiveness of the thinking process just you know reflect on how thinking is a very divisive faculty that we experience and we're very attached to thoughts, words, meanings, expressions. <clears throat> we like to analyze. We go to psychotherapists or psychoanalysts or have meetings to discuss our emotions and feelings because these are conditions that we identify with that this sense of my feelings, my emotions, my view, my opinion, is based, it's all thinking, it's all based on words and this sense of I am a physical body, this is me, this is what I really am and what I think is, is my, in my reality and, and then we have ideas of respect and appreciation and acceptance and then there are boundaries. How much, how far can you accept or appreciate anybody when they don't behave the way that you consider proper? Don't agree with your views. You know, then these ideals of of respecting each other and uh, loving each other. Everybody has equal rights and so forth. Is 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 
held as an ideal, but the reality is we have very critical minds and we're very, that's our, the world we create is with a critical thinking mind. So in any situation, whether it's monasticism or married life or professional life, family life, there's always this, there's always something to criticize and complain about. Because samsara is, it's, it's not perfect. Nobody on a personal level in, in form or thought or personality is perfect. There's no perfect personalities or physical forms. There's no perfect man or perfect woman. You know, the ideal of a perfect man and woman is, is an ideal, another word we create. Perfect monasteries, perfect governments, perfect democracy. And, you know, this is, and we think of perfect understanding, samaditi, is the thinking mind has been perfected. Is that, is that samaditi, you know, is that the perfect, is that right understanding or perfect understanding is figuring it all out with words, with concepts, with Pali words, with Sanskrit, <clears throat> English, or whatever language. You know, is that, is that samaditi? That's the, in the Eightfold Path, right understanding. And so in life, in social situations, in societies and so forth, we, we endlessly complain because there's so much to complain about because of the imperfections we perceive in ourselves or in each other, in the situation we live in, in the community, in the society, in the political system, no matter how perfect you can imagine a society to be, it can only be imperfect because societies are an illusion that we create. A sangha is a society, a group. And so the sangha is a group of individual people each coming from their world, their separate world that they create with words and thoughts and ideals, ideas. <clears throat> and then there's so much to complain about. You, in, uh, you know, in Buddhism, in Theravada Buddhism, this, we, we attach to ideas of perfect vinya, perfect dhamma, uh, you know that we we uh, we develop our sense of what's perfect, absolutely right, and true through reading the scriptures, the Vinaya. We form opinions, <coughs> and then we 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 have uh, our own view of what 
is perfect, what is right, what the Buddha really taught, what the Buddha's words are, you know, how they, what they really mean. The, as we translate Pali into English, you know, and then there's arguments about the meaning of the different Pali words. And we, we criticize those who don't agree with it. We, we quote Ajahn Chah as our standard, or Bhikkhu Bodhi, or Somdet Buddha Gosajan as our standard authorities on these subjects, as, because they've, uh, they've done the best in terms of figuring out the right words. But they're only words. And words are sankharas. So we're back to this, this sankhara, this word in, is a Pali word. So, and it, it has, it can be translated in so many different ways, but it's phenomena, conditions, and so forth are, you know, good enough English equivalents to Sankara. Now, if we were a word, you know, if, if, if our dependency is having a name and a position, Status is important in the, on the ego level, having be, being uh, having status in the society in the sangha. But are you really a name? Is that you know you were given the name after you were born? None of us were born with a with a name. We have to, my parents decided on the name after we were born. So it's a it's a given thing. It's a, it's a condition. And then you know, and names change as we grow up, and we we may not like the name we were given by our parents, and then we adopt another name. We have, uh, you know, a Buddhist name, and we we identify with that. But this identification <coughs> is a form of clinging, you know, that we, when we don't investigate sankharas, when we don't witness phenomena or conditions as they arise, when we get caught into attaching to views and opinions, then we're lost in the sankhara or the conditioned realm of birth and death. So that's not the deathless. Now the word deathless is uh, another word. Uh, you know, it's, and uh, you know, trying to to define what the deathless is, we say dumb. We use theories, metaphysical terms, ideals of the deathless. We create more words, more elaborate descriptions or, you know, that convey something way up high, up above, or like 
metaphysics or that seems something very high up, not just ordinary daily life, dealing with hunger and physical fatigue and aging process. So there is a lot to complain about in samsara, not to dismiss it, and we should just love every every sankara that arises or not complain about it, but complaining is a habit that we develop from early life. You know, so it's, how do we deal with the complaining mind? Because, you know, there's always something, you know, as much as we try to perfect the buildings, the building committee for Amaravati trying to perfect the plan for rebuilding the monastery and the kitchen, the sala, the, the accommodations for the nuns, the accommodations for the monks, and we can create, you know, different views about what's really absolutely right or necessary you know, with the words we have. And then we try to manifest that through materials. But no matter how well it's thought out and planned, there's still, you'll find no matter how wonderful a building plan be and how it manifests in, in a beautiful way, there's still, you find plenty to complain about. Complain about each other junior monks complaining about senior monks, or junior nuns complaining about senior nuns, or senior nuns complaining about junior nuns, senior monks complaining about junior monks. <laughs> then you have an ideal of, of what a good junior monk should be, how to behave, not complain, watch the mind, be aware, is good advice. But how do you deal with the complaining mind? Because it's a very strong habit. Because we've complained all our life. About our parents, about school, about teachers, about playmates, about bullies. So there is, you know, samsara is like that. It's all changing phenomena. And, there's, and so in terms of if we're going to live in samsara, you know, and, and just get caught up in complaining about it, trying to, to make it perfect, it's futile, it's impossible, because samsara's phenomena can't be perfect. It's impossible perfection on these changing conditions that we hold to, cling to, create our worldview, a sense of ourself, is all changing phenomena. So that's why the world is the way it is. You think by now with, with all this uh, talk, you know, democracy, should, 
America is is the progressive form, the perfect example of democracy, but it's a shambles now. And you hear the news about the present governmental system and the Republicans and the Democrats can't agree on anything. They think they're all being terribly democratic. But what is democracy? In the reality of here and now, it's an ideal. You know, bipartisanship politically, the two parties should work together for the welfare of the popu American population is the ideal, and that's how it should be. So in the American political system, there's always so much to complain about. <clears throat> so in one's own life as a samana, how do you stop, can I just say, you shouldn't complain about anything? You know, that's, that's uh, kind of advice. Watch your mind and stop complaining, shut up and, and conform to the Vinaya and the, and the standard of, uh, the established for the monastery and watch the mind is an ideal. But we have to deal with the realities of the way we are, the way these sankharas, these conditions operate, that we have to live with. Because whether you're alone in your kuti, or in a group, at a meeting, or at a mealtime, or whatever, you know, it's, it changes from, you know, somebody makes too much noise when they're eating we feel really annoyed. I remember being very attached to samatha meditation practices and feeling really irritated if somebody crinkled their nylon jacket or sneezed too loud because it would disrupt my samadhi practice. You know, so this is you know, when you perfect meditation hall where everybody's sitting perfectly still in perfect lotus posture, practicing perfectly is an ideal. But the realities of monastic life is like this. You know, as much as we want to be like the Buddha, our role model, or like Lumpo Cha, Lumpu Man, these great monks, we can't be. Because the conditions, the, the sankharas, are all different and changing in all of us, all the time. So complaining is, is a habit because, you know, it's, it's thinking about from the ideal of, or what you put, particularly ideals that you are, that one is very attached to, and judging the present realities of any situation by this very high standard of samaditi, right understanding. So we can figure it out intellectually, samaditi. But then the... Door to the deathless, 
you know, try to figure that out with words. You know, door is a metaphor, so, you know, is there really a door we have to find? A gate that we have to find? Or, you know, metaphors are signs, you know, encouraging signs towards looking, opening the door and looking, observing, entering the deathless. But what is the deathless right now, sitting here this afternoon in the temple? You know, what is the deathless reality? Satang is trust in awareness. Because that, you know, in terms of, is that, is something that isn't personal, isn't a sankhara. What you're aware of, the conditions changing, the physical bodies that we experience, the emotions we feel, the opinions and views that we might hold to and believe in are all sankharas, are all conditions. So there's no way we can find a perfect condition to have perfect understanding. Right understanding, we want an absolute right. Righteousness is another strong view. Uh, in, in religious life, you get very righteous. What did Lung Pao Cha really teach? What is his, you know, what uh, I, you hear monks saying, I was with Lung Pao Cha, I was a upatak for Lung Pao Cha for 10 years, and I know what he taught, and other people hear different versions. What did the Buddha really teach? The, Buddha Waja, that, that we, you know, as absolute right thinking, right understanding, as we read the scriptures, the suttas. So this is where the Bhattibhata, Bhavana, is not about reason, logic, analysis, thinking, but this witnessing, observing. Because we might we agree with the Buddha that everything is impermanent, all conditions are impermanent. Just try to find a condition that's permanent. You know, and you know, everything is changing and that's, you know, something that average people never really contemplate very profoundly. I never did till I started meditating you know, if you said everything's changing, I, well, I guess so, you know, but you never really notice change. So just taking the Buddhist words and, and uh, projecting them onto everything, every sankara you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, isn't it? It's not projecting these words of the Buddha onto the reality of a situation. But taking the words like gate to the deathless, door to the deathless, and not trying to find a gate or a door, or try to figure out what the deathless is with words, 
And so this Yesoda Vantabha Munjantu Satang, those who listen, who hear, who are paying attention, is a Soda Vanta. So I heard today a monk I know is going to take a PhD in Vipassana meditation. <laughs> and we, we laughed at that, you know, they're getting a PhD in Vipassana, sounds. <laughs> a PhD in just more words, isn't it? And Vipassana is insight, you know, it means insight into, looking into reality. Here and now, it's not about attending a course in, a PhD course in, in uh, Vipassana, Buddhist Vipassana meditation. Well, again, Getting a PhD in Vipassana meditation is all right, you know. You know, nothing wrong with it, and it might be very interesting, but you're still caught in the realm of thinking and trying to figure out exactly the Pali words and put them into Thai or English equivalents. So it's not about getting a PhD in anything. But in in Patipata, in in Bhavana, Yesoda Vantaba Munchantu Satang, this is like Satang is translated as faith or confidence. It's not like belief. When we talk about the word sata in uh, the word Pali word sata, it's not about believing in Buddhist teachings. It's confidence. In awareness here and now. So the complaining mind is something to look at rather than try to stop complaining. Right, just you know, because it's. Uh, I tell you, you shouldn't complain, and you you want to obey me, and and so you try to you you feel guilty about when you do complain, because it would you know Ajahn Sumedho wouldn't like that, and so uh, it gets into even more complicated neurotic patterns of guilt and and kind of self uh, aversion or fear because the mind does complain and uh, you shouldn't, you know, you should be content with the four requisites. And so complaining is, is, is a result of attachment to the thinking process, to ideas, ideals, words, views and opinions. (laughs) 
So that's the explanation, but then the bhavana, the vipassana, is looking at it, complaining, listening to it. Early on in monastic life, in the first few years with Lung Po Cha, you know, I, I would, you know, start to tr- stop complaining. I deliberately complained, listening not to anybody. I wasn't complaining to other monks, but I was listening to my complaining mind. So I decided to really complain, intentionally complain and listen to myself, to this mind complaining about life. And so then the investigation is not to attach to the complaining, but to listen to it. You know, is this, is this the gate to the deathless? Is this peace and happiness? When I complain endlessly and mind just sits there and wants things to be different or complains about other monks or about the weather, about anything, You know, and I had insight into the suffering of attachment to these complaining habits. Like at Wat Pong, there were so many mosquitoes. And in those days, there were no mosquito nets. There were mosquito nets we had personally, but like on screens. The Makutis didn't have any screens on the windows. And so there's a plethora of mosquitoes and sitting in a meditation hall complaining about the mosquitoes. So I just listened to this mind, you know, deliberately complain because mosquitoes are something to complain about. We don't like them, they bring disease. <clears throat> World Health Organizations try to eradicate them, their enemies, nasty little critters that suck your blood. And so there's all kinds of good reasons to kill them, complain about them. You know, so on, a, on that level of thinking and reason and logic. You know, but then the Vinaya for bhikkhus for Siladars is you're not to intentionally kill anything. So then, you know, you're stuck with, in a situation with a lot of mosquitoes that you can't kill. What do you do, you know? And then, then there's a fear of getting malaria, dengue fever, all these terrible diseases that mosquitoes are blamed for. And you can make your life perfectly wretched over mosquitoes. And so this is, you know, is that what we have to do is just live with mosquitoes and just shut up, try to stop complaining about them? Or is there something to learn from mosquitoes? 
So this is a question to ask yourself. The things that we complain about, maybe there's something to just listen to the complaining mind. And that which listens, that which is aware, isn't complaining. Awareness doesn't complain about mosquitoes or anything else. Mindfulness is not, a, is not about complaining about life or situations or, any, or opinions or views, but they are what they are. Sankaras arising and ceasing. What arises must cease, what begins must end. So rather than just kind of shut up, stiff upper lip, grin and bear it, you know, these mosquitoes, why did God create mosquitoes? Because all of us, you know, if we were God, none of us would have created mosquitoes. So then you can start blaming God for mosquitoes. But there's a lot of things we don't like in, in the sangsara. A lot that we disagree with or don't want. So, as Sotamantas, who are paying attention, attention, listening, trust in awareness. And to trust in awareness is, are still words, so how do you do that? Is by recognizing that awareness is conscious awareness of the way it is in the present moment. It's timeless, timelessness, here and now, santitiko, akaliko, ehipasiko, opanaiko, bhajatang, here and now. So I remember thinking about mosquitoes in Wen Wat Papong, and uh, one day I I had real insight. I said, well, mosquitoes, they've been in Thailand longer than I have. This is their, where they breed and live. And I come from America, and I start complaining about mosquitoes. <laughs> you know, as if they shouldn't be here. You know, and we do that when we travel, when we don't agree with things, the customs of, of foreign countries, different cultures. We can we go visit other societies, other religions, and we have views about what's right and what what Buddhism is absolutely right and anything that differs from it is wrong because the opposite of right is wrong. So right and wrong as absolutes are impossible. There's no absolute rightness or wrongness. 
there are no absolute sankharas conditions. Absolute is just another word. Like immortality, we think of, you know, something being born and living forever. The immortal gods of the Greek pantheon or so forth, you know, are immortal. You know, they're myths. They're creations of the human mind. They're immortal. So that's an ideal that we give to, to various views about Greek religion, Greek, Greek gods. But that's still words. It's not based on reality, but on belief. So there's this belief, you know, we believe in Buddhism is one thing. But is that sada? Is, is, do we, can we translate sata, the Pali word sata, as belief? Is it believing in Buddhism? Believing in the Four Noble Truths? Believing in what teachers say? You know, that's where you know, I tell you what to believe and you might accept that. And that's belief, you know, but it, it's still not sadha. So sadha and panya and the faculties are very important. They balance each other out. For example, when we meditate, you know, when we come to Buddhism, there is a, a level of sata interest. It's a, maybe we know nothing about Buddhism before. You know, we're brought up in a different society, different religion. So we don't have any strong views, but we, we find what we've heard of Buddha's teaching is interesting. That's the beginning, interest. There's a kind of interest. It's not a belief. You don't believe in Buddhism yet, but you're interested enough to read books about it, read the suttas and so forth. And then through reading the suttas, you begin to have even more interest and faith, which leads to panya, wisdom. You have insight into Dhamma into reality itself. Profound insight into reality is not intellectual. So the complaining mind is a teacher for us. And we complain about each other. You know, so, you know, I used to, you know, the mistakes I've made in Sangha life is kind of in assuming that someone that isn't like myself is somehow deluded. So, I, you know, there's this kind of conceit and arrogance of the ego 
the things that, because I think of myself as a rational, sensible person, that everybody, you know, just explain everything properly, explain the Dhamma in detail, you know, and all the meanings of the different words, the different concepts in the suttas and scriptures, and logically, and everybody who's reasonable will agree with me. And so there's endless conflicts about interpreting the scriptures with very reasonable intellectual people. And then the conceit, the sakya ditti, the mana ditti, the sense of you know, I, I, my understanding is better than yours. Or I've got the right understanding, yours is mitya ditti, you don't understand it properly, it is a complaining critical mind. So this is teaching us, these are sankharas, the sakyaditi, the arrogance, the conceit that we, we might be identified with. We begin to observe it. Mindfulness is not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's aware of conceit is like this. Thinking my view is, is right or better than your view or your view is wrong, you know, right and wrong are sankharas. Where awareness of sankharas is, is not a sankhara. This is where we trust in this awareness, because that is the door, the gate to the deathless, which you can't find the deathless through analysis through words, through beliefs. But sattā and panya, these two words, instead of conflicting, you know, when we think of you a sattā jarit or a panya jarit, you know, we can divide those who have, are sattā people, they believe everything blindly. And, and if you're a panya, you tend to look down, you know, they just superstitious, caught in their habit patterns. But we're the real insight practitioners. We have panya. You know, that can be conceit, isn't it? It sounds like conceit. So no matter what the conceit is like, no matter how right we might be, or wrong we might be, the, the door to the deathless is awareness of right and wrong as view and opinion. They're not absolutes. There's no absolute right. So is samaditi an absolute right? You know, it is words, right understanding, It can't be just the words or just figuring Buddhism out because you're so intelligent and, and have read the, the Tripitaka. 
studied it for years and have a PhD. Right understanding, samaditi, is then insight. And insight comes from sada, confidence in awareness. Trust in awareness, these words, it's like this. So these little pins I give out now, saying the way it is, is, uh, is a reminder of that. No matter what you're thinking, no matter how arrogant or conceited you might judge any viewpoints you might discover in your mind, it is the way it is, it, you know, it can't stay. The most conceited opinion is impermanent and it ceases. The most arrogant stance that you might hold to, cling to, if you really look at it, witness it, is, is, is you know, it doesn't last. Egos are very changeable conditions where, you know, trying to become someone without an ego is still a futile attempt to coming from ignorance. Trying to get rid of the ego or feel you shouldn't have an ego is, is, a, is another concept that you might be clinging to in meditation. Like anatta, there's no ego, there's no an arahant doesn't have any mana, beyond mana, beyond a vita, completely free. You know, we understand the words. But mana and sakyaditi, you know, are to be observed, you know, in, with awareness. Trusting in awareness. Conceit, being conceited is like this. Complaining about life is like this. And as you trust in awareness, you know, you begin to see that conceit and arrogance cease. If you try to not be arrogant or criticize yourself for conceited views, then you never notice the cessation of it. You just create more conditions uh, and beliefs that you are the arrogant conditions that might arise in your conscious experience in the present. So samsara is teaching us. We're not trying to, you know, get rid of samsara and live in, in the, what we call nibbana, free from suffering. You know, that's the ideal. But uh, in these mortal coils that we identify with, these conditioned forms, habit patterns, Sakyaditi Sila Bhattabharamasa, Vichikita, 
you know, instead of trying to get rid of them, of these first three fetters, so we can become stream enters, this is all, you know, if we, we might have belief in that if we do this, we'll become stream enters. But that's, that's not stream entry. You don't become a stream enterer, em, emperor, <laughs> enterer, through trying to get rid of the three fetters, but understand the three fetters. So this understanding is panya, which is aligned with sata or trust and awareness. So that's why, you know, I encourage you, you learn from the way you are. Whatever, how you see yourself as a person, as a personality, as a social entity, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, male or female, and a monk or nun or whatever, you know, these are artificial conditions. Their, their condition phenomena. But what isn't conditioned is awareness, consciousness, here and now. So liberation is always about here and now, not about the future, about getting right understanding, you know, that you imagine samaditi is, You know, as a personality, can any of you say you have perfect understanding of the Dhamma, you know, as a person, no matter how well-read you are? You know, does understanding come through interpreting Pali and finding perfect English equivalents for Pali terms? Is that right understanding? You know, so in terms of wisdom, Wisdom isn't about words, about concepts, about getting rid of kilesas and becoming a stream-enterer, a once-returner, a non-returner, and an arahant. You know, personalities cannot become enlightened. So as a person, there's no way as long as you identify with personality, you know, it's a futile attempt to try to become an enlightened person because personality is an artificial condition. It's a sankara. Sankaras don't get enlightened because their very nature is impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. So what are you then, if you're not a person? Now this is a question to ask, and there's no answer for it. Why do you want to find out what you are through, do you want me to tell you who you are, or how you should be, or what your real self is? You say, real self is awareness, but then, you don't believe that either, that, that just the words that, you know, I really am awareness, and that's what I am, I'm not really Samedo Bhikkhu. 
and it sounds conceited again. And then it sounds overestimation. But what is truly deathless at this very moment, the reality of here and now, is conscious awareness. And trust this. You know, so you're, you're willing to look at, you know, the dark side of yourself, the angry, jealous, frightened conditions that might arise in consciousness. You're willing to, to learn from mosquitoes, from, from the way you react to, to others in the Sangha and, and so forth. You're, you're learning from the Sankaras that they're not self. then what are you if you're not a sankara? And then, so this is the unknowing, unanswered question. But there's still awareness with no name, no projection, just pure, absolute pure, conscious awareness that is impersonal, not self. So in, when this begins to sink in, when you begin to have the, this insight, you realize there's absolutely nothing to fear, really nothing to do. It's such a relief to know this, this reality, ultimate reality, to be this reality itself rather than the personality, the physical body, the emotional habits that we cling to, the five khandhas, the sense world that, that we enjoy or hate. You know, this is, this, rather than seeing how, you know, elderly people, You know, I really have an interest in elderly people now because I'm one of them. You know, the, you, you've kind of done it all. And then death is not, uh, the perception of death is not, you know, next, not far away when you're 86, 87 years old. Death of the body. But if you haven't realized the true nature, Dhamma itself, the pure, unsoiled, unstained perfection of reality itself, of Dhamma, then you die in, with the idea that, that you're the body. And then that can be very frightening. You might have beliefs about death. You get reincarnated or reborn or you just disappear into a void of nothingness. Where is Dr. Rohini now? You know, funeral. Dr. Rohini was a big supporter for years here at Amravati. Died. Where is Ajahn Chah right now? 
Where's Lumpu Man right now? You know, where are they? You know, and they're, we don't know. We have the word, the memory, Lung Po Cha, Dr. Rohini, memories now. We have memories. Mudita, I went to her funeral in Bangkok. Now she's a strong supporter and absolutely trusted Lung Po Cha's teaching. No, we don't know. We don't, but we're aware of not knowing. It's like this. So we ask various monks in Thailand, where is uh, Rohini now? And there was, She's in the Deva realm. Or <laughs> and that's a comforting view, you know. Not that it's wrong. But Rohini was a real complaining person. <laughs> so, <laughs> we wondered, did she die complaining about life? Or, you know, was that just the surface? The, 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 surf, the habit patterns of an individual. What we know is we don't know where Lung Po Cha is right now. Was Lung Po Cha an Arahant? You know, and then people have asked that question. And can, can Lumpo Cha as a person become an arahant when he's, before he dies, or he was paralyzed at the last 10 years of his life? All we can do is we don't know, or we, we create doubts about it. Doubts are like this. Not knowing is like this believing he's completely uh, resting in Nibbana is another concept, another view. You know, so if these are views, there's nothing wrong with them. But even these, these comforting views and these beliefs in reincarnation or rebirth, Some monks practice in order to become reborn in, in, uh, in the time of Maitreya Buddha, in the future. Maitreya Buddha is supposed to come in the future, the future Buddha. So that's a, an ideal, isn't it? Practicing hard, being a good monk in this lifetime to, to become, to be born, reborn, when Maitreya Buddha comes to the planet Earth, is still words, concepts, ideas. And that's all we need to know, is not to 
to criticize the, the belief in Maitreya Buddha or to want to be reborn in the in the time of the Maitreya or be reborn in a Deva heaven or a Brahma realm. But what are they here and now? What is the Brahma realm here and now for all of us? Is an idea, a concept, a belief? It's a sankhara. This you can know. This is direct knowing with wisdom. All sankharas are impermanent. Anicca dukkha anatta. And this is a direct teaching of the Buddha, perfect understanding, samaditi. Comes from, you know, his wisdom understanding, not belief in teachings of the Buddha, but practice, you know, to actually do what he was pointing at. So, you know, when we say santidiko, akaliko, ehipasiko, opanaiko, bhajjatangvetidapurvinyuhi, and, you know, in morning, evening chanting, you know, these are, Dhamma becomes something, you know, not just an ideal word or an abstract concept of perfection, but the reality of here and now, santidiko, apparent here and now, consciousness, as I've told you many times, is here and now, your conscious right now is like this. You can't find it, using the metaphor of trying to see your own eyes. Do you need to see your own eyes? You know, the fact that you can see is the, is the thing, that's that, the fact that awareness is here and now is enough. You don't have to find who is aware. As some some object, something as a person. So see your life here in Amravati, you know, no matter what mental states arise and cease, faith or doubt or criticism or obsessive trust in, in everything here or your discontentment with life here or wanting to be somewhere else or doubting yourself or feeling guilty, be frightened, envious. They're all teaching us about the nature of sankhara. So it's not projecting impermanence on sankharas. It's observing sankharas. Puto in the Buddha, Puto or Puru is is the witnessing reality of consciousness. It knows the 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 way it is is like this, because on the ultimate level, it's true. All conditions are impermanent. Is awareness a condition then? You know, that's the 
question. Is consciousness a condition? Because it's mentioned in the five khandhas. But that's sensory. Senses are conditioned, aren't they? You know, for consciousness to manifest forms, it has to have senses, space and ears, eyes, nose, tongue, body, separate forms that can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel within space. But that which is aware of sankhara, you know, can one sankhara be aware of another sankhara? Is there an ultimate sankhara that's aware of impermanence? Is this awareness of impermanence? You know, the sankhara that's aware of all the other sankharas? Or is awareness, conscious awareness here and now, the the gate, the very opening to the deathless reality of Dhamma. So I offer this as a reflection.